You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. And now they get five out of five. Yeah. Shepard across midfield, still on his feet. And down the sideline goes Sterling Shepard, a third Giants touchdown. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Grump, I'm a little more calmed down from Monday's tirades. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> I didn't say I was off the ledge, I just said I'm calmed down. It's like, you know, giving me some, uh, you know, Xanax or something to kind of <laughs> keep me off the legs. But so, At least the Giants are sort of moving in a direction, whether it's the right one or not. You know, we'll have to see. But Dallas, I just, I feel like is in limbo. I don't really know what they're doing. I, I got to put, okay, we'll, we'll throw that out right there. I, right now, think this giant team's in limbo too. Again, my reason being. I think is, you're only talking about the quarterback position though. Well, is this offensive line being rebuilt at this moment? Other than Will Hernandez. Have the other moves been made? You think are long-term solutions? Define Nate, Solder, Nate Solder's on the on, under contract for four years. Yeah, but I mean that doesn't mean he'll necessarily be here for four years. He'll you think he, he'll be here for four years if they don't have a replacement for him in four years? They're not going to sign another free agent. They're they're, they're going to draft a guy to replace him after maybe a year. Okay, so that, that you just answer my question then. Like, but if that guy is not coming out in this draft, then they're not going to do it in the next draft which means that now he'd be four years under contract. Does that make sense? Right. I understand what you're saying, but my point being is that I don't think that, you know, again, other than Will Hernandez, the other two guys that were brought in, and you could say even a third, even John um, Hapio, these were not guys that are supposed to be pillars for the next decade on this offensive line. Nobody is going to be a pillar. Even Will Hernandez is not going to be a pillar for a decade. If you're doing your offensive line right, you are drafting a new piece every year to replace the year after or two years down the line. No, I mean, like, it's just they're not all going to be first-round picks, but you have to be constantly replenishing that line so that it looks a little Re- different. Every Re- replenishing, replenishing. But I'm, what I'm saying is the pieces that were brought in are not guys, I don't think, even for, you know, if you're doing a five-year rotation replacing these guys, I don't think these guys were thought of as other than just short-term solutions. Right, but again, you're talking about five years versus four years when you say that with Nate Solder. I think Nate Solder is not a long-term solution, but he's a solution for a while. He's he's a solution. He's not a patch. Uh, Omame is a patch. Flowers is okay, a patch. Okay, that, okay, okay, so is a patch. That, that's what I'm trying to get at with this, yes. is do you think solution versus patch? And I think, is Nate Solder a solution? Well, I think he's well, a... I, I think he's a short-term solution, which is what all free agent signings are if they're not 25, 24, you know. Uh, so, yeah, he's a short-term solution. Hernandez is a investment. Uh, you know, Jalapio is a patch. Omame is a short-term solution on a three-year deal. I think they're more looking to in the future. I mean, we're way off topic here. but Yeah, it's fine. Uh, what they're looking to do next year, in my opinion, is center and right tackle. Now, whether they choose to invest in that with a draft pick or sign a free agent that's a long-term solution, somebody who's 25, or a short-term solution, somebody who's 28, 29, uh, you know, that's going to depend on the market, the draft, etc. Right? 
but I think those are the two spots. And, you know, Omame is, you know, for better or for worse, the short-term solution at right guard for three years. The year mm-hmm. after, they might look to replace him. So let's bring this back to front then. The original point was, are the Giants... Well, I mean, I think it's at least heading in a direction. I think that they are. I mean, you switched whole schemes. They are moving away from the quick, you know, up-tempo, throw-first, run-second offense. They have moved from a 4-3 defense to a 3-4 defense and acquired linebackers to make a functioning team out of it. You know, Dallas, they're just kind of rolling with the Dak Prescott thing because it worked the first year and he can sort of manage an offense, but... I think they're going to find out later rather than sooner that, you know, it was a little bit of one-year magic behind a good offensive line with a good running back. Yeah. And I think that's that's going to be the problem as we start to see the pieces of their offensive line chip and, you know, get hurt as they age. You know, Tyron Smith is not going to be there forever. I mean, And not having, just not stacking your, your wide receiver room with anybody. Yeah. And that's what I mean by Dallas sort of in limbo. It doesn't really look like they're addressing anything towards the future whereas yeah. yes the giants are an infantile state infantile infantile yeah, infantile <laughs> stages of doing that they are at least heading in a direction even if the actual personnel that they have may not be fitting what they're trying to do schematically right i guess that's Correct. more of the thing yes and that i guess a little bit of the mixed messages which we talked about on monday mm-hmm. does not you know personnel wise not necessarily what they're trying to do as an organization. Correct. And that's that's very confusing to a lot of fans, I think. And again, I've spoken about this a couple of times, you know, not as much as I think I need to, but these one-year turnaround teams that everybody references are really more like two-year turnaround teams. People just don't realize it because that first year is so bad. Yeah. Um, you know, you get a new coach and new scheme, you can't really just put together the personnel for a new scheme overnight. And so, you know, they look at the Rams and they think, well, you know, McVay in his first year as head coach, not really. Jeff Fisher was fired at the very beginning of the season, the season before. Jared, you know, uh, Jared Goff, Jared Goff was drafted the year before, didn't even play. You know, those pieces were put in place a whole year beforehand. That was not a one-year turnaround. That was two. So that would I, you know, I have some more optimism about that. But we're, we're talking way into the future. We are going to try... This evening, as we were recording this on a Thursday night, watching the putrid Jets-Browns uh, game in the background, we're going to try to stay focused, not worrying about you know, long-term concerns for the franchise, second-guessing anything, blah, blah, blah. We'll have plenty of time to overreact about that each week. We're going to try to stay focused on you know, what needs to be done to try to, to eke out a win in Houston um, this coming Sunday. Yeah, so if you want to check back on any of our prior outbursts, by all means, check out iTunes and SoundCloud where you can find the podcast and all its episodes there and be sure to subscribe so that you can get them as they come out where I'm sure we'll be overreacting Monday night. (laughs) Um, Okay, so this week, uh, it's Sunday, 1 o'clock at Reliant Stadium in Houston. No, now I think it's NRG Stadium. I think when Uh, it opened, it was Reliant. Right. I was actually there, uh, Grump, um, the first year of the Texans. I think it was 2003. Okay. Whenever they were an expansion team, the Giants did play there, and uh, we lost because, you know, I'm a mush, and wherever I go, my teams lose. So um, that was uh, 
Derek Carr, I believe, was the quarterback. You know, in David. one of the game, David Carr. My bad, David Carr, <laughs> not Derek Carr. David Carr. One of the few games he wasn't sacked thirteen times, and uh, they beat us. So let's hope for a better outcome. Uh, I guess most importantly, injury report for the Giants: still no Vernon. Apple did not practice this week uh, with a groin issue. Uh, Barwin started out the week not practicing. He was limited today on Thursday. So his status is a little bit up in the air. I think we'll see him a little bit throughout the week. He's Remember, he's a bit of an older guy, so it might take it a little easy on him during the week. That's true. Ingram was limited all week. I expect to see him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree as well. More importantly uh, is Houston's injuries. And I say that because the two biggest injuries are not in the injury report because they're on IR. So in the first regular season game, Chantrell Henderson uh, went on IR with a broken ankle. And Kevin Johnson, uh, I think that was also week one, went on the IR designated to return with a very bad concussion. Um, Those are really key injuries. And I'm going to hone in mainly on Chantrell Henderson. So I don't remember whether he was playing left tackle or right tackle, but the point is is that they had to reshuffle their offensive line in the wake of his injury. So now um, Julian Davenport, who is a raw prospect from a very small school, was moved to right tackle, and the rookie Martinez Rankin from Mississippi State, I think, is in at left tackle, and they are weak at the tackle position. So I would expect a lot of use of Kareem Martin, Lorenzo Carter, and whatever we see of Connor Barwin to attack that those edges. I, I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, when James Betcher first came to this team and he said he wanted to be more aggressive, you know, bringing the kitchen sink more often than not, this is one of those opportunities you're going to have to. But they have to do it smart. You know, we are dealing with Deshaun Watson, a guy who – We'll run them out of the building if the guys overshoot their gaps, get the let the go behind the quarterback, things like that. So it's going to be one of those controlled chaos things where, just because you might be able to overpower your your tackles, you can't be too aggressive and and just do it recklessly because, as we have seen with this giant uh, defense, running quarterbacks kill them. Yeah, and this will be no exa- This will be no different. Could be even worse. This might this is this is going to be the best quarterback they've faced so far. Um, you know, he's may not be as mentally there as Dak Prescott is probably, but he's faster than both him and Bortles, and he throws a better ball than both of them too. I would say. Oh yeah. Um, they need to stay disciplined on the outside. Just because they can beat the tackles doesn't mean that they should cheat. They have to remember to stay in their lane. And really, one of my keys to winning this game. Uh, not to jump too far ahead, is make them run up the middle. We have a middle defensive line with Alec Ogletree, B.J. Goodson, Snacks Harrison, Dalvin Tomlinson, and uh, B.J. Hill. If I'm Lamar Miller, I don't want to run up the middle. I would rather be trying to get the outside. So as long as they stay in their lane and they force everything on the inside, they'll be stopping the run and forcing, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson to really have to throw to win the game. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, you want to get this offense in a third and long situation, you know, and I think a lot of the problem that the Giants have had is, you know, giving up a lot on first down. You know, mm-hmm. this team, you know, you're right. 
the inside of the line, it's the hardest place to run against this team. That's one of the strengths. And hopefully a pass rush would be. So let the first strength, the inside of the line, block the pat, the uh, running lanes inside, force third and longs, and then go after them. So you're right. Those are the keys. Don't, be, don't give them situations, winning situations. You know, limit that as much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they should be playing to their strength. And, and, you know, I guess one of the stories that isn't being talked about is that this is probably the weakest O-line that they've faced so far this year. Not, the, you know, the tackles withstanding. Uh, you know, I, I think I made my point about them. But just in general, mm-hmm. I mean, playing Jacksonville and then Dallas, I think the only other offensive line in that category would be Pittsburgh, right? I would say so. Yeah. But I also think that, you know, one of the strengths we thought from this team was our defensive line. Well, again, so. yeah, and I think that they haven't been bad at controlling the middle. I mean, we haven't seen too many gashes up the middle. Where we've seen the running yards start to stack up is when they've cheated on the inside and let things go to the outside. And we, but that's that's not been a problem for just this year, too. We've seen this for several years now, you know, with, with different coordinators and different personnel as well, so... Yeah. This is nothing new for this giant team to have to. Their Achilles heel has been running quarterbacks. Um, yeah, and truly, what's sad is it comes down to just discipline. Mm-hmm. It's it's really nothing more than that. It's not, you know, I understand every once in a while you get a Robert Griffin, but you know, most of the time, just a a mobile quarterback does not make him, you know, Usain Bolt. So yeah, yeah, we're not dealing with Michael Vicks out here, but we're dealing with you know quarterbacks who are very good at running and very good at, you know, the RPO. So, you know, that deception is freezing this defense just long enough where all of a sudden, you know, what could have been a two-yard run has become a seven-yard run at the most inopportune times. One of the biggest problems the Giants are going to have, at least defensively, I would think, is with Eli Apple not likely to play, um, you know, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Yeah. I don't know that I agree with some people who think that he's a top three receiver in the game, but the the, the fact is that he's in the conversation for top five or six. So he's he's good, um, even in double coverage. And in, in, my, in my watching of the first two regular season games for Houston, Deshaun Watson may be too willing to throw into double coverage to DeAndre Hopkins. So... He's not the, I mean, you know, for better or for worse, but the fact is just because he's double covered will not deter Watson from throwing to him. So they have to be on him all game, even when he hasn't had a single catch. Mm -hmm. He'll throw right down the middle of the field to him. Right, right. I agree. I'm uh, I'm not letting their 0-2 record fool me for what talent this team does have. I mean, it's kind of a lot like the Giants. There's a lot of individual, uh, individual talent skill position talent mm-hmm. and when you have that you know you might have bad lines or just you know ineffective play but you know an 80 yard play is right around the corner when you have skill like that so yeah i mean the titans game came down to the last minute and houston really did give new england quite a run um obviously i i guess most people are going to be talking about how the offensive line is going to block jj watt Jadavian Clowney. And Whitney Merciless. So, I mean, how big of a concern is that for you? <laughs> I get worried if they're blocking tackling dummies right now. Yeah. 
then all of a sudden now you're going to have like you know three of maybe the 15 best you know, past rushers in the game. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a big problem. <laughs> this might be the game where Eli gets buried six feet under. It could be, but there there are ways to neutralize this. Um, really, the bigger issue is going to be figuring out a way to do it for the entire game. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think that Clowney and Merciless are not too difficult to, I don't want to say block, but just deal with. I think they're the kind of guys who don't have the same motor as J.J. Watt does, where if they're getting beat all game by the third, late third, fourth quarter, they're a little gassed, they're a little deterred. You know, maybe their heart isn't as in it as it was in the first quarter. Um, you know, both of them are not... I, I mean, they are. They're nursing injuries. Uh, you know, Clowney has a back issue, and Whitney Merciless has shoulder. So, I mean, they're not... 100%. But J.J. Watt is the kind of person who you can have neutralized all game and in the fourth quarter comes away with four sacks. Well, I mean, let's back up a minute. Okay. I think there has to be a lot of soul-searching with this offensive line that's happened from Sunday night until this coming Sunday. You know, the we, we have been preaching, well, you have been preaching more than I have that this is a work in process, and I do agree with you. You know, obviously now that I'm off the the immediate ledge, this is a week we need to see the communication issues being cleaned up. Yeah. Let, let, let's let's start from a you know we start worrying about well JJ Watt and, and this and that and everything. <laughs> let's wor- let's worry about our own shit first. <laughs> let's worry about can this offensive line communicate? And you know if there's a stunt happening, a communication where you know you're picking this up, I'm not picking this up. I get it that it's five new starters on the offensive line. Four of these guys are veterans. To see what we saw last week where it looked like five rookies out there, it just simply can't happen. You know, the coaching staff has to do a better job of getting this team prepared. This offensive line has to be more more mentally prepared and they have to do their jobs. So what we're hoping for the goal for this season is seeing incremental improvement from week from week to week. We need to see it right now with just doing the fundamentals of this offensive line. Then we can worry about how we're going to stop J.J. Watt, how we're going to stop Clowney, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So let's see how that happens early on. And I think we saw with the Dallas game, it wasn't happening immediately, and we knew we were in for a long day, uh, night. We're going to see pretty early on Sunday afternoon whether this is a team that's kind of cleaned itself up or it's going to be the same garbage we saw last week. You make a really good point. So, yeah, the the elementary – you know, stunt mishaps were rampant and unacceptable. And it was everyone. It was all across the line from left to right. Solder and Hernandez were getting screwed up. There's one play where two tight ends and a back all missed a block last week. And, you know, Demarcus Lawrence is a good pass rusher, but he's not that good. Uh, yeah. Th- it was just an absolute failure to communicate. And you're yeah. right. I, it I was more, hope that it, this week the offensive line sat together for some extra time in a hotel room or something and really just went over basic communications. Yeah. It was, it was just a combination of bad, bad physical play, bad communication. And I also, you know, have been harping on it too. I thought it was, we were poorly schemed for that game. I think so. So I think that it's a combination of the the coaching staff has got to get themselves in a room and say, you know, how we prepared this team to be prepared has to be changed and has to be improved. So, 
you know, let's see what that jump is from week two to week three. And then, you know, if we get a lot of those communication things tidied up and, you know, guys, their their right assignments and people prepared for what they should expect to see, I think you'll see improvement. Because yeah. on, on paper, this is not the worst offensive line in the league. No. No, it's not. They're playing like it, but on paper it isn't. So that means on paper, if they're not, they should be playing up to more of their potential. They may not make it until week 12, 13, 14 because of the time it takes to gel, but it should not be playing like the worst line in the league. Yeah, and and you're right. And when it comes to coming into a defensive front that contains Watt and Clowney, you know, and those are guys that are more than just pass rushers and run stuffers, they're versatile. I mean, like they can line up on opposite sides of each other, right next to each other. Watt could be right in the middle if he wants. They can play pretty much wherever they want. And they can really create havoc and the, the way to neutralize stuff like that isn't simply like hey we got to communicate like you know that's basic shit to, to deal with something like jj watt and clowny and merciless you know is a matter of scheme and so yep. when i went through this i figured what better coaching staff to look at than the patriots so i watched the way that they did that and that for the most part neutralized all of them throughout the entire game i mean brady could have Hula hooped in the pocket if you wanted to. <laughs> and there's a couple of ways they did it. I mean, the first is really obvious, right? You run away from J.J. Watt. Jadavian Clowney is a really good pass rusher. He's not the best run stuffer. He's a smaller guy. Whitney Merciless is not as strong as he once was. You run away from the strongest younger guy, right? Even if he's not younger than Jadavian Clowney. Um, right. But you can't do that all the time, right? I mean, then you just stack everybody the opposite then side of Watt. So. Yeah, and also playing half a field, a predictable half of the field. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I they did was use tight ends and backs to chip him. It's, it's really simple. If you think that he's going to speed rush, they have a back come out of the backfield and block him for just long enough for the tackle to get his base, and then it just becomes a matter of two, three seconds, just hold him off. Um, you know, he doesn't have that speed edge anymore, and it just becomes a matter of strength and whatever hand fighting they do. Uh, so I saw a lot of that. And the other thing the Pats did, which I did not see the Titans do, which is a less well-coached team, I would say, Mike Vrabel versus Bill Belichick and Josh <laughs> McDaniels. But Oh, you, th- you think so, Doctor. <laughs> uh, they used J.J. Watt's speed rush against him. They just let him run as far out wide as they wanted, and the tackle would just shove him further, and they would run through the gap that he created himself. So they would bait him. So those are, and by mixing and matching all three of those things, it really kept Watt in check. I think until the middle of the fourth quarter. So yes, it comes down to some scheme. But you're right. Before we get into the, listen, guys, this is what we're gonna do. They need to be like, all right, guys, we got to figure this shit out because right, we can't do this right. anymore. And it's a school of hard knocks because, like you said, we have faced you know, we face some. Tough pass rushers these first couple of weeks. This has not been easy. And, you know, we're, we're not playing the Browns and we're not playing the Bills and we're not playing, you know, all these crappy teams. So you're getting thrown into the fire right away. And unfortunately, uh, there's no pity awards. Nobody cares. Oh, no, not in this town and not on this show. You're not getting any. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, the one thing I'm interested to, to do, and it might be a homework assignment for you, Grump, okay. is teams that have had this much turnover – on their offensive line. And again, we're not talking about five new players. We're talking about five new starters and new positions. Mm-hmm. And with a new coaching staff, what is the expectation for this gelling 
and the leveling of the ship to actually happen. And I'm sure there's been other teams, you know, there might be some teams in the league this year, in the last couple of years, that have gone through similar changeover. I, I are, mean, are we behind pace, ahead of pace, where we should be as far as the offensive line development? Because I feel like people freaking out and saying we need to replace all five guys and fire coaching staffs, is it, you know, you know, we don't believe it's warranted at this time, but is it something where, you know, the expectation is it takes half a season, takes a full season? I don't know. That's something I'd have to look into. I would think that, you know, given the entire changeover that we have, where we don't even have a quarterback who knows the system well enough to change the protections, you know, without really even using his eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not second nature to Eli yet. So he no. can't just go up to the line and make sure that everybody is set. It's the kind of thing that you would like to say, you know, this week was better than last week, and that week was better than the week before it, and therefore progress. Yeah, that would be a perfect world, but, I mean, that's not really how reality works, right? That's not the way it's going to go. It's going to be jagged. It's going to be a couple steps forward, one back. Yeah. I think what you're going to have to do is take a larger sample size and look at week eight versus week two, you know? That's yeah. the kind of thing we're going to have to do. And it's it's not going to be – it's that's going to be a homework assignment that I think – we'll really be talking about around January. One of the other things I noticed that I, I see as a an opportunity here is coverage linebackers for Houston. Not that good. Um, you'd think so when they got Zach Cunningham from Vanderbilt, who you know very well uh, as yes. an athletic linebacker. Mm -hmm. uh, he was abused by you know Rex Burkhead. You know what I mean? That, that's not – it's not Barkley. I'll just say that. Uh, so running backs and tight ends are going to be able to abuse these linebackers if they can get them in the right coverage. Probably more Ingram than Barkley, as I imagine they'll be keying in on Barkley. I would. I mean, you know, he's the guy who's got, he's got the ball in his hands more than anybody on this team, and it's the emergency dump off. I mean, I don't know where this offense would be if he wasn't on the team right now. There's one matchup that I don't think a lot of people are keying in on, but it, it might create some problems. You know, so obviously Jalapio is out for the season. Uh, with a broken leg. Yeah, it was his leg and his ankle. A couple different ligaments were... It was a whole mess. Yeah. A couple of different surgeries are required. Yeah, a guy that big, that that tends to happen, you know. A lot of, a lot of weight hitting down there. Um, and Brett Jones, everybody knows, has shipped off to Minnesota. So that leaves John Greco or the newly acquired Spencer Pulley as the center depth. But there's a matchup there with a guy named Reeder, who is a very good nose tackle. And he's a decent pass rusher as well as a very big guy. Uh, they will not be able to run up the middle in this game. It's just not going to happen. If they do, it's going to be off the left side where they get, you know, Hernandez either pulling to the right side or just double teaming with Greco on reader because they're mm -hmm. not going to be able to run through him. Not with Greco no. at center. To be kind of honest, that's what we've that's what Barkley's been doing primarily since he started, you know, in the league. Sure. He's been he's been bouncing everything to the outside. You know, he hasn't got that confidence yet to be more, you know, of an up the middle type of guy between the tackles. He's been bouncing everything to the outside anyway. So that's playing a little bit to what his confidence level is at this point. All right, man. Prediction time. Well, until I'm proven otherwise, I am putting this team in loss in pencil. Okay. I I just can't see the adjustments being made that quickly from, you know, seven days still on the road against a team with a, you know, a potential for a really good pass rush to all of a sudden this offensive line is stabilized to the point where they're going to give Eli time to throw 
Eli time to be comfortable, Eli time to move this offense. Um, that may happen in week 5, 6, 7, 8, 12, 16, 17, but not yet. Um, I think the offense is going to continue to struggle while we're trying to get through this and fight through it. Um, I, I have this as a loss. I have it as a 27-10 loss. Okay. Um, so I think that I think that we're going to see a lot of stuff that's going to get Giants fans a little bit more optimistic in this game. I think that I think that the game planning and the offense moves the ball a lot better. I think they continue to struggle with obviously the talent on this defensive line, but it's not the same kind of struggle like we saw against Dallas where it's just pathetic, where it it looks like 11 on 7. Uh I think that the Giants actually hang around in this game for a while at a distance. They never have the lead, and I think they lose 24-17. But I think I think a lot of it has to do with I don't think Bill O'Brien's a very good coach uh, for the NFL level, and I think that Deshaun Watson makes mistakes, and I think that comes keeps the Giants in the game late, but not close enough. What is what will be causing these mistakes? Do you see? Do you see us with a, a a disciplined pass rush that's going to force him to make throws? Do you what what, what do you see? Um, well, I mean, his mistakes are a little bit all over the place. Week one, we saw him first handoff of the game it was an RPO where he just sort of dropped the ball. He couldn't decide whether to keep it or hand it off. Um, he throws into double coverage way too often. I don't know which one it's going to be, but I just think that he's not had a full season under his belt yet. I don't think he's as calm as he needs to be. Yeah, you're, you're right. And people kind of forget about him that, you know, and also he's coming off a pretty major injury. So, mm-hmm. you know, is he a hundred percent confident in his ability right now? A lot of these guys when they're coming off, you know, knee injuries like that or whatever, you know, it takes him a little bit to get 100% confidence again too. Sure. So his head might be spinning a little bit and right. He hasn't played 16 games yet. You know, we we're still in a kind of a new era where, you know, as we're watching this game on a Thursday night, you know, two of the uh, three first picks in the draft are playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You would never, ever, ever see that five, 10, 15 years ago. So as unusual as to see rookies, you're still seeing a guy who still hasn't played his 16th game yet. I mean, so, I think you might have seen it five years ago, but definitely not 10. Oh, two rookies starting in the same game? Yeah. I think I five know. years ago is more recent than you think. <laughs> I know. We're all getting old, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. I just realized that uh, Flight of the Concords came out 10 years ago today, and that seems like not that long ago to me. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm still I'm still salty about that. I'm still trying to figure out where 20 years have gone by since Rounders came out. Well, you're going <laughs> to so. have to deal with that one internally, pal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Quick, quick one around the league. Philadelphia and Indianapolis. Well, you know, I uh, in all of our anger and angst last Monday, I forgot to pat myself on the back for predicting Indianapolis blowing out Washington. And you thought I was a little crazy. No, I didn't think uh, you were crazy. I just I, I agreed that Indianapolis is run by like shit, though. Yeah, um, I think it was a wow after the prediction was made. Oh, okay. That, that will that not happen. Right. That will not happen this week. <laughs> I, think, I think Philadelphia rolls this week. 
I, I agree with you. Philadelphia rolls. Indianapolis, like I said, run like shit. Uh, Green Bay and Washington. I think it all depends on if Aaron Rodgers plays or not. Uh, he did. We're recording this on a Thursday. He did not practice today. Um, I still think Washington stinks. <laughs> so I will. Um, I'm going to put in the lightest of pencil Green Bay, which might get more of a darker pencil into pen if Aaron Rodgers is playing in his, you know, more closer to 100% than 50%. I'm going to say if Aaron Rodgers does not play, Washington wins, but otherwise it's Green Bay. And I mainly say that because it's not being played in Green Bay. Uh, if it were, I would say Green Bay wins otherwise. Washington stinks. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dallas and Seattle. Ugh. <laughs> Can this be in the, the third tie in three weeks? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that would be a record. <laughs> uh, I think Seattle, I said it before the season, you know, could be one of the worst teams in the league. Uh-huh. Um, if anybody watched that. And they also, with a, one less day to prepare after playing on Monday Night Football, I... I I think Dallas wins this game. Um, just the lesser of two evils. Not evil being Dallas isn't evil, but just the lesser of two kind of bad teams. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna change my my perception of Dallas after watching the Giant game last week. I still think they're a pretty poor team. I still think they're gonna come in. You know, they're gonna battle the Giants for coming in last in the division. But uh, I think they'll squeak this one out because I think Seattle could be one of the worst teams in the entire league. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you and get ready for a lot of obnoxious Dallas fans with the, you know, delusion that their team is very good, you know, after rolling over us in Seattle. That being said, Seattle and New York Giants might have two of the worst performing offensive lines in the league right now. Yeah, Um, uh, for sure. If anybody watched that Monday night game and just saw the, uh, you know, the 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 onrush of, of the of the pass rush which is was ridiculous yeah you know it looked very similar to what you saw Sunday, uh, Sunday night. night yeah I think Dallas wins this game too uh but I still think they stink it's just that Seattle's worse right now it's just the state of their franchise I mean this is looking right now and I don't think it's too early to make this statement that Philly really should run away with this division I mean we're looking at three teams that you know in various stages of either rebuild or further decline don't look very good right now. And I'm not, I'm not ready to have any ticker tape parades for Dallas. Like you said, because mm-hmm. they beat an atrocious team on Sunday night. Let's go back to week one when they didn't look very good at all either. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you. Philly should be running away with this division. That doesn't say much about Philly. It says a lot about the state of the other three franchises. All right, everyone. So we will see you on Sunday around 1 o'clock where I will be watching probably at a bar. I will be watching on my uh, Sunday ticket app as I am flying back from Knoxville, hopefully after a big Gator victory at Tennessee, or I'll be super pissed and not want to want to watch anything. So <laughs> I should be landing at LaGuardia by halftime, and I'll probably be one of those losers just sitting in a hotel at the airport bar watching the second half instead of going home. Hmm. Well, I'll be one of those losers pissed off and playing on my phone in a crowded bar. So I will be tweeting. So remember to follow me there at, at football underscore grump where you can find me being grumpy. And you will find me, as always, on Twitter at the cranky fan. Again, 
Big weekend for me. Uh, you can catch my companion podcast, Mark and the Cranky Fan, where we discuss all things Florida Gators. We have a massive SEC game at Tennessee, so I could be super fucking cranky on uh, Sunday by the time the giant game rolls around. Can't be losing to teams like Tennessee, who haven't won an SEC game since they had leather helmets. So, <laughs> can't um, happen. And as always, you can find the podcast at, at Just Giants Pod and on iTunes and SoundCloud. And be, do us a favor and give us a five star rating and a nice review because we need to get more interaction with more Giant fans. Uh, you know. Based on Monday's show, we had a lot of interaction with you guys. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for all the, the new fans and the new loyal listeners. Um, you know, We have some big ideas and plan for some future shows with some of you, so uh, just keep stay tuned and you'll see what we're talking about. Yep, and you know we don't get to interact with you on the show so much, so if you have any questions, if you, if you want to call bullshit on anything that we say, by all means, uh, just reach out on Twitter. <laughs> I, There's I, plenty, I no plenty of material to do that, too. So hey, I, I can't argue with you if you're not here with the show. So if you have something, you, you know, you may be right. You may get me to think in a different direction. So by all means, reach out on Twitter. <laughs> you may turn my frown upside down and make me the happy fan. So <laughs> reach out to us. All right, everyone. Go Giants. Go Giants. <laughs>